0: Well, we're in Matthew chapter 24. Oftentimes when we have visitors, the Lord will detract me to a different passage, but that's not so this time. So I prayed about this. I the Lord about this. And uh, for the sake of our visitors, our brothers in Christ who uh, have not been able to go on this journey with us through chapter 24, a very important chapter of the Bible, um, Will probably be one of the most important chapters of the Bible in the coming days to understand properly. I just want to go through. Uh, we've gone through verse thirty-five so far, and I'm going to do a quick review, uh, starting in verse four. Well, starting in verse, uh, we'll just start in verse one all the way through verse thirty-five. I'm not going to read them; to give a review of it what we've talked about so far. So, just go with me from verse one all the way through. We see in verse one that they were at the buildings of the temple, and. Um, Jesus says about the temple that not one stone was left upon the other. Elijah, sit down. Uh, That's referring to AD 70, when that temple they were looking at was destroyed. But you notice in verse 3, there's a difference here. Now, they sat out on the Mount of Olives. So this is a completely different uh, situation, different scenario. And people will try to say that Luke 21 and Matthew 24 are the same conversation. Not so. Luke 21 happened while they were still in the temple area, still looking at the buildings, Completely different conversation. So part of Luke 21 is talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And part of Luke 21 is talking about the end times. But all of Matthew 24 is talking about the end times. All of it. And so he's he's asked these questions in verse 3, and he begins to answer these questions. Starting in verse 4 and going through verse uh, 8, we see a parallel to the uh, first, uh, the four horsemen of Revelation chapter 6. Okay? So there's a parallel there. So this is verses 4 through uh, 8 are talking about the first half of the seven-year tribulation. As verse 8 said. these are the beginnings of sorrows. And the word sorrow there is the same word used for woman in labor. These are the beginning of birth pains, Okay, the beginning of them only. And then in verse 9, we see the beginning of the second half of the tribulation, um, us being delivered up the tribulation, all nations hating us because who's in power now? The Antichrist is in power now. He's ruling over the nations, causing the nations to take the mark of the beasts, and all who don't will be um, persecuted. And we saw that there's some in Revelation 12 who escape the persecution of the Antichrist, and God protects them, and they stay there for three and a half years, time, times, and a half a time. And so, but many will be offended during this time. That's talking about Christians. means they'll from the faith. They'll betray one another. They'll hate one another. These are tr- Christians now, who were once genuine Christians, but doing these things to themselves. Many false prophets will arise and deceive many will be led astray, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of most, you, know, you might have there the word many, but it means a greater part there, the love of the most will grow cold. So many, during this first three and a half years, and the second three and a half years we're talking about now, are going to depart from the faith. Of course, verse 13 says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So it's talking about future salvation, entering into the kingdom of God, entering to the holy city. And verse 14 tells us what must happen before the end will come. The gospel of the king will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So there will be a group of people who have not gone into the wilderness, who are not being protected by God during this this last three and a half year period of time, and they will continue to preach the gospel, okay, Uh, as God has called them to, until all the nations are preached to, and then after that's done, all the end will come. They'll have three and a half years to do that. Let me see in verse 15. Jesus is going back to the midpoint here in verse 15. You give more details of what happens. At the midpoint, the abomination of desolation happens. This is the Antichrist who is now um, filled with Satan. Satan's controlling him. He proclaims in the temple of God that he is God. He stops the sacrifices. If you want to learn, learn more about it, go back to Daniel chapter 12. He stops the sacrifices, and he wants people to offer sacrifices to him. That's part of taking the mark of the beast, that people are going to worship the beast who is the Antichrist. And so that's going to happen at the midpoint, and that's when he becomes the ruler over all the world. And it says in verse 16, Then, at that time, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the house stop and not go to take anything out of it. And let him who is in the field not go back to get exposed. It's talking about those, those Christians, who are going to leave everything. They're going to, going to stop what they're doing and they're going to go where God leads them to, into the wilderness to be protected by God for time, times and a half a time, for the last three and a half years, where the Antichrist will not be able to touch them. In fact, it says when he sends an army after them, in Revelation 12, that the earth will open up and swallow them, Okay, because God will protect them, just like he protected the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt and going into the wilderness. He opened up, the earth, so to speak, and allowed the flood of the waters to drown the army of Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh is a type of Antichrist. He's a type of Satan. And so we see these things happen. So these people are going into the field. This is uh, we're fleeing from these things. And then at verse, verse 21, once again talking about the last three and a half years, there'll be great tribulations. This has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor, nor ever shall be. Great tribulation in two ways. One for the saints, because the whole world is going to hate them now. You know, here in America we're going to have like a little you know, a little comfortable spot going on here. We don't get persecuted very much here, but the whole world is going to hate the Christians, and they're going to be persecuted. Not only that, but great tribulation from God. He's going to send his wrath upon the earth. But notice he's not He's not taking his saints out of the earth before He done his wrath. They're going to remain on the earth and be protected from his wrath. Just like in Egypt, the Israelites were in Egypt when he sent the ten plagues, but they were not affected by it. Taking, for example, the last plague, the tenth plague, with the blood on the doorpost of the house, as long as they were in that house, they were safe. But those who are not in the house that had that blood over the doorpost, they were not protected. And so God will protect his own during this time and send his wrath upon the earth. <laughs> and it says in verse 23, um, there will be people who say to hey, look, here is the Christ, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise to show great signs and wonder to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So he's telling us during these last three and a half years, there'll be people who will save their Christ. People who will tell you, look, there's the Christ, and he's saying, don't believe it. Why? Because, according to verse 27, you're going to know when he comes back. No one's going to have to tell you. As a lightning shines from the east to west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Everyone will know of Christ's coming. It'll be no secret thing, no private thing, no people leaving their clothes behind and going up to the sky. You will know that he has come. No one will have to tell you. If someone has to tell you, it's a sure sign that that's a false Christ, and they're trying to deceive you. And trying to get you to come out of the hiding, to be deceived, and be, not be protected by God. And so we see in verse 28, the carcass is where the eagles were gathered. Those are the, the birds who come to feed upon the flesh of those who have taken the mark of the beast, who rise up against the, the city. We see that in Revelation chapter twenty, uh, and chapter I'm sorry, chapter 19, where the God calls upon all the birds of the air to come and feed upon the flesh of the captains, the mighty men, those who have come in Armageddon to come against Christ and against his people. And then verse 29, we see that it goes back to talk about Christ's return again, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So Christ doesn't return before the tribulation of those days. He returns immediately after the tribulation of those days. And these are the signs that will happen before, right before he returns. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Okay, Which tells us, once again, that he didn't come in A.D. 17, as some groups, the millennials will tell you, because these things didn't happen in A.D. 70. The sun was not darkened. Uh, the moon did not lose its light, the stars did not fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven were not shaken in AD 70. So we know these things have not happened yet. And then the Son of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And how many tribes of earth will see him? All the tribes of earth will see him. And they will mourn. Instead, in fact, it says in Revelation 6, in the last, uh, the sixth seal there, they will go into the cave and say, Rocks fall upon us, for the great day of the Lamb's wrath has come, and who is able to escape? Nobody. And so he continues on, and at that same time, when Christ comes at the end of verse 3, in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, he will send his angels through the great sound of a trumpet, the seventh trumpet, and will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. So when is the gathering together of the saints? At the end. After the signs, after the tribulation, when Christ returns is when we're gathered together to him. From the four winds, from north, south, east, and west, from all over the planet, of course, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then the alive in Christ will rise. And then, in verse thirty-two through thirty-five, we see that the parable of the fig tree. You look at a fig tree. You see my fig trees over there. I think John maybe has one left that isn't, hasn't died yet. Uh, you see, you see the leaves on it. Uh, you know summer is near. And guess what? There's leaves in my fig trees, and the summer near. It's near. And so, when you see all these signs, you know his coming is at hand. It's near. It's at the doors. Let me give you an analogy here. Let's say um, I'm in my house. My children are sitting in the living room, and Brother John starts coming come over to our house, okay? And the children look out the window, and they say, oh, Brother John's walking towards our house. Daddy, Brother John's, and they, he gets to the gate. He opens the first gate, makes a little noise. You can hear it, and it's at nighttime, so you can kind of hear it. You can't really see him too well. they say, uh, Daddy, Mr. John's coming. I say, okay, he's coming. And then our new uh, little spotlight turns on because it's dark at night and it sees some motion sensor light, and it turns on. Oh, a light has shined now. That's the second sign that Brother John's coming. The door opened, the, the gate opens, and now the light shines. Now he's walking towards the second gate. Oh, the second gate makes a little noise. It opens. There's a third sign that Brother John's coming. Then I start to hear him walk on the steps. That's the fourth sign is coming, and then he's at the door. He's at the door. Knock, knock, knock. See, he's got all these signs that he's coming. And then when he's right there at the door... He's just about to knock, and he's just about at my house. And so these signs are signs to you and to me that Christ is coming. When you see these things, know that he is near. He's at the door. He's just about here. He's just about to bring out his, the full measure of his wrath upon his enemies. And so that's what we see here. And it says in verse 34, a very confusing verses on people because it says the word generation there. Surely I say to this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And people will use that word generation to say, well, look, a generation is about 40 years. Geosetis is about 80, 33, 87, the temple was destroyed. must be talking about that, right? Now, the Greek word there is genia. It doesn't mean a group of people born at the same period of time. Okay, The word genia means those uh, exhibiting common characteristics or interest, or a race or kind of people. And so, the kind of generation that will not pass away, in my mind, is... He's, I don't know which generation he's talking about here, but it's three different ways, generations he could be talking about. One, the generation of the wicked. These are those who persecute the saints. They will persecute the saints until the end. The generation of the righteous. They will be persecuted, but they will remain until the end. They will not be completely, completely wiped out. And three, the Jewish nation. They've been people. The, the devil and his... Minions have been trying to wipe them out for a long time, and they have not been able to see But this is not talking about the generation that Jesus is talking to right there. It's talking about a... Gen- and Jesus never used the Greek word genea in this way. He never used it in a way that, well, you guys were born around the same time, so I'm talking about that as a generation. And so really, should be talking about this kind of people, or this race of people, who by no means pass away until all these things take place. And people will use this one verse... The twist. All of Matthew 24 says talking about 8070 and the temple that was destroyed then. Okay, so now we're in uh, verse 36, and let's let's go ahead and um, and read through verse 51. So hopefully that was understandable for the brothers who were not able to be here the last three or four weeks. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. He did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And two men will be, left, will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Surely, to, surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour where he is not aware of and will cut him into and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 36 is a very misunderstood verse. And I have to admit at one point in time, I misunderstood it myself and used it improperly. This verse let me read again, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And in Mark thirteen thirty two, it adds Jesus to that too. Even the Son does not know the day or the hour. Now let me ask you a question. I'm going to give, well, let me just ask you this. Do you think this is saying that no one can ever know and no one ever will know? Is that what it's saying? No, it's not what it's saying. Let me give you some insight into the Greek te- text here, okay? The word know here is "oida," and it's in the perfect tense. Okay, The perfect tense in Greek means this. It's a, a past action that's been completed, and is continuing until the present. So, what Jesus is literally saying here, no one has known, and up to this point in time, no one knows. That's what it's literally saying there. Okay, That's the perfect tense. But it's not saying, in Matthew uh, 24, verse 36... That no one ever can know the day or the hour. He's simply saying at that point in time, no one has known. Not the angels, no one, no, no human being, nor even himself knew. And up to that point, no one knows. Yes, brother? Uh, Oida. Yep. Perfect tense. So up to that point, no one has knowledge. Of the day that Christ will return or the hour now here's a problem with saying that this means this is what the pre-trib rapture people use okay because they want the coming of Christ to be imminent he can come at any time and if that were true you couldn't possibly look for signs because the signs would tell you that he's about to come it has to be imminent it has to surprise you it has to be a thief in a night and we'll get to that here in a minute for everybody according to the pre-trib rapture people but is that true well, we just saw an, earlier in Matthew 24, and I reviewed it. We thought of it before in verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination and desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, this is the halfway point, and let's go to Daniel 12 for a second. Daniel chapter 12. <clears throat> and we know from our study on uh, Matthew 24 and verse 15 that uh, Hanukkah celebrates... Another point in time in Jewish history where Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth did an abomination of desolation. And so the Jewish people, the people who Jesus was talking to, his disciples, would have known. They would have thought back to that, thought back to the celebration of Hanukkah, the festival of lights, and said, I know what he's talking about, and if I want to know more, I can go back to Daniel and see what he's talking about. And Antiochus, what did he do? He stopped the actual sacrificing, the daily sacrifice. It was one in the morning and one in the evening. He stopped that. He erected a statue of Zeus in the temple, and he commanded the Jewish people to offer pigs as a sacrifice to Zeus. Okay? That was the abomination desolation. So, in the end times, what we'll see is not a statue of Zeus, but we see some kind of statue. We see it talking about it in Revelation chapter 13, if you want to read about it more. And uh, you'll be called to get the mark of the beast and offer sacrifice to this. And so it's the same exact thing happening here. And In Daniel chapter 12... <clears throat> Let's read in verse 4 first. Verse 1 through 3 talks about what's going to happen in the end. And verse 4 says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And <clears throat> What Daniel is saying here, based, <clears throat> what God is saying here, or, my God, the angel here is saying to Daniel, is that this, what, we, what I just told you, Daniel, these things I'm telling you about the end times will not be understood until the end time. Knowledge will run to and fro. Uh, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now go down to uh, verse 8. This is Daniel said, Although I heard, I did not understand. He doesn't understand yet. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And here's his answer Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So there's two qualifications, actually three qualifications for understanding. One, you have to be in the end times. Two, you have to be holy. And three, you have to be wise. And and to be wise, of course, it would go back to verse 4. You shall increase in knowledge, which requires study. Not sitting back lazy reading someone's book and saying, okay, whatever he says, I believe it. Or this guy on TV who's... Who knows lots of Bible verses memorized and just believing what he says? You need to study it for yourself. You need to get into the Word of God and seek after these things and understand what it says because if you are holy and you are seeking and you are in the end times, but I'm supposing you are, you will understand it. There'll be no confusion for you. Let's read the next verse. From the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, this should be 1,290 days. You know what this just told us? If you are alive when Matthew 24, 15 happens, you can count 1,290 days from that day, and you will know the day that Christ returns. And so the perfect tense does not mean that we see in Matthew twenty four thirty six, does not mean that no one can ever know. In fact, he's giving us all these things that we see in Matthew 24, not for the apostles he's talking to. He's talking to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. He's not giving it for them. He's giving it for us, for those who are going to live through these things. Now, whether all of us here will live through these things, I have no idea. But I'm going to tell you, I think we are in the end times, and I think we can understand these things as long as you're living holy. The problem with most professing Christians they're not living holy. So, they're not going to understand these things. They're not seeking these things out. So, they're not going to understand these things. But we can understand these things. And so, up until that point in time, only the Father knew. Now, why didn't the Son know? Because He laid aside His deity. He laid aside His omniscience to come in the flesh. Okay? So, He laid aside some of His. He couldn't be omnipresent, could He? In the flesh. And so, Jesus laid aside some of His attributes of of His deity. Uh, to come down. And now, and it, the disciples were always trying to figure this out. Let's, let's just go to Acts chapter 1 for a second. They always wanted to know what the day was going to be. And, of course, Jesus said, um, at that point in Matthew 24, this is before he was crucified, before he rose from the grave in Matthew 24, he didn't know at that point in time. In Acts 1, verse uh, 6, disciples asked him a very similar question again, because they want to know the day. They're kind of eager, I guess you could say. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, the disciples asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Hmm. That's a good question. Listen to his answer. The last time he didn't say, I didn't know this time. But he does say, it is not for you to know times or seasons where the Father has put in his own authority. And now what does he point them back to? He just he pushes aside that for a second and says, disciples, here's what you should be focused on. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Should be my witnesses, to uh, be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and then all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So he's pointing them back to their duty, what they're supposed to do right now, which is be a witness to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay. So it's not for us to know the day or time, even for us right now. Even if we are in the end time, it's not for us to know the day or the hour right now, because we won't know the day of the hour until the abomination of desolation happens, and then we will know. But until then, Matthew 24 and verse 14, in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's our focus. That should be our focus, to preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples of all nations. And that's what Jesus was pointing his disciples back to, because it was not for them to know because, listen, they weren't going to make it to the end times. That's all there is to it. So this verse, once again, verse 36, is not say that no one can ever know. It's simply saying at that point in time, no one had known, and there's no way he would give us what he gave us in Daniel twelve eleven and in uh, Matthew twenty four fifteen, and all of Revelation teachings. If he, we, if someone wasn't going to know at some point in time, so people who see the Abomination of Desolation, they will know, if they are wise, if they are holy, and if they're seeking, they will know. Now those who are not wise, those who are not Christians, those who are not seeking, those who are not living holy, they will not know. They will not know. So let's read on. As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, till the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now there's people here in verse uh, 39 who did not know. Who's that talking about? The wicked. The wicked did not know. Let's go to Genesis for a second. Let's see if no one knew. Because he's righteous, he found uh, favor in the eyes of God. He was perfect in his generations. He was set apart to be to start the uh, race of men all over again. Genesis chapter seven, and in verse four, this is God talking to Noah. The Lord talking to Noah. It says, uh, "Is that the, the ark's built now?" It says in verse 4, for after seven more days, hmm, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. So did Noah know what day the flood was coming? Seven days. And then down in verse 10, and it came to pass after seven days, God didn't lie, after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, and the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth for four days and four nights. On the same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, and Noah's wife and, three, and the, the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. Go down to verse 16. So those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, were in as God had commanded them, and the Lord shut him in. Who shut him in? Or shut him in. So, Noah knew. So let someone tell you from this passage is that you can't know. Because God, Jesus is using Noah as an example, and Noah knew. Who did not know? The wicked did not know. But I'll tell you what they did know. They did know something was coming. They didn't know the exact day, but they knew. Because according to 2 Peter 2, 5, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So he preached to them. So they knew the flood in the general sense was coming, but did they know the exact day was coming? No. They did not know the exact day was coming. But they did know, And so, just like us, we preach about judgment, don't we? We preach about Christ's return. And so the wicked, they know, they hear these things coming into their ears as we preach to them. And according to Matthew 24 and verse fifteen, uh, verse 14, it will be preached until the end. So the wicked will know that the end is coming. Well, they won't know exactly when, yes. So,
1: brother, so in a way, the apostate... Christians
0: would be labeled as the wicked. Then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we're we'll going to get to that here in a second here about about them. We'll get to, we'll get to the end here. Um, and so the, the people who did not know the flood was coming and would take them all the way, did not know the exact day, were the wicked. But Noah and his family, they knew. They knew seven days beforehand exactly what day it would come. Just like we will know at some point in time in the future. See, Noah built that ark for about 100 years. Okay? He didn't know the whole 100 years what day the flood was coming. But well, he knew seven days beforehand. We right now, we don't know the exact day Christ is coming. But when you see that abomination, Desolation, you will know. 1290 days from that point will be when Christ returns. Okay? And then it goes on to say in verse 40, Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. And notice there, men's in italics, so that's not in the, that's not in the, the Greek. They just put men in there because men usually work in the field. Same with women in verse 41 because they're usually the ones who are running the mill at that point in time. Two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Okay. Now, what is this talking about? Now, this word "taken" here, I believe it's referring to the rapture. I believe it's referring to when we, First Thessalonians four seventeen, the catching away. Uh, not the same Greek word being used in here as as First Thessalonians four seventeen, but it's a, it's, a, it's like a synonym, It's like synonyms of each other. Okay, they mean the same thing. Um, but I have to tell you this, um, I know a lot of you uh, listen to Pastor Tim Warner's teachings. He disagrees with me on this. Okay, I even talked to him on the phone about this. He thinks the taking away here is being re- received into the place of hiding where you're protected. Okay, I disagree with him on that. The whole context here is the day of Christ's return. And so I don't think Christ is detracted from that for a second to go talk about that and then go back to talk about the other thing. I think he's so talking talking about the rapture here. And so we see uh, in verse 31, it says, his angels, uh, He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and he will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Okay, And the word taken there is paralumbano in verses 40 and 41. And it means to be received into someone's presence. Okay, Received into someone's presence. And it's the same word used uh, talking about uh, the situation with Joseph and Mary. Where he said, take Mary, your wife. Isn't that interesting? Because that's when Jesus takes us as his wife. Okay, and It's the same thing used. And this is where it could go... In Pastor Tim's direction here, okay, it's the same word used when uh, Joseph takes Jesus and brings him to Egypt to be protected, and that same analogy is used in Revelation chapter twelve, where it's talking about us being taken into the place of hiding. Okay, but either way, it's not talking about taking away the wicked. Okay, it's talking about taking away the righteous. Where it's talking about taking away the righteous in time of the abomination of desolation when we go out into the wilderness. Or whether it's talking about taking us away to the rapture; those are two options. I believe at this point in time the rapture, and I've been studying this for two weeks now. I talked to Pastor Tim about this, and I just, I just think it's that. Okay, but that's my opinion. Okay, you need to know that, and so maybe, maybe I could be wrong about that. But it seems to me, in context, from verse thirty-six to forty-four, it's all talking about the coming, the last coming of Christ, the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, and the verse forty, where it says, "Then," that's the word, "at that time." And which time I read before that? The coming of the Son of Man will be. So, at that time. Okay? Alright, so verse 42. Watch therefore. What are you watching for? The signs. What's the particular sign you're watching for? Abomination desolation. Watch therefore. For you do not know, once again, the word knows in the perfect tense there. Do not know at this time. No one has. No one. No one knew at that time. Doesn't mean you can't ever know the time of the day or the hour your Lord is coming. But know this: if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broke into. Now, this this analogy Jesus gives in verse forty three: the master of the house, a thief's going to break in. The thief breaks in and steals. What's the thing the master is missing to protect himself? Knowledge. Knowledge. It's exactly what Jesus just gave you all throughout this chapter. He gave you the knowledge you need to watch so that your house will not be broken in, and Jesus will not come as a thief and a knight for you. Remember the qualifications. Holy living. Okay? You're in the end times, and you're searching the scriptures. You have to do those things. Otherwise, he will come as a thief and a knight for you. Okay? But the master, if he had known, then he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. And if you know, Christ will not come back to the thief at night for you. Therefore, you also be ready. And the word be there is the word genomai. And it literally means to develop or produce or or become ready. So he's saying, therefore, you become ready. So you, I'm talking to you now, you need to become ready. You need to know these things, continue to live holy. Because there's a person here we're going to talk about here who who knew the Lord, and he was a faithful servant, and he did not continue to be ready. He went back to his sin. But before we get to that, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll see once again that the ones who were not ready were the wicked. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, we see what's referring to the coming of Jesus Christ and how he'll come with the great uh, sound of a trumpet, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then us who are alive and remain will be caught up. And that word there means to take away. The word caught up there in verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4 means to take away. Once again, at the same word used in verse 40 and 41 of Matthew 24, but it still means to take away. And that's why I'm assuming that's talking about the rapture. And then in verse five, uh, of chapter 5 and verse 1 it says, But concern, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Well, I wonder why he shouldn't have to write to them. For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord, so comes the thief in the night. So how do they know perfectly? When the, Lord, the day of the Lord is coming. Because they already have the writings of Matthew 24. They're, he's just building upon the knowledge they already have. He's not giving them new knowledge. He's building upon the knowledge they already have. And that he's going to come as the thief in the night. For when they... Now I'm going to ask you who that they is here in a second in verse 3. When they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So who's the ones that it will overtake the thief who a sudden destruction will come upon them, and they shall not escape? The wicked. That's the wicked. Not only the wicked, but it's the wicked, and those who do not understand, and those who are not seeking, so overtake them as a thief. But you brethren are not in darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And that word sober is going to come into play here in Matt 24 in a second. Let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the people use this verse in verse 9 for the preacher rapture all the time. God did not appoint us to wrath. That's true. But does it come as a thief and a knife to those who are looking, who are waiting, who are living holy? No. So are are those people going to endure the wrath of God when Christ returns? Is Christ going to stomp them out, like grapes of wrath, and have his blood all over their garments? No, it's only those who are wicked only those, he will come as a thief at night, only those will be appointed to Christ's wrath. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other, and edify one another, just as you are also doing. So it's, it's comfort. Uh, it's edification to know that Christ return. We can watch for signs. He gave us signs. We can know the signs. We can even know the exact day, if we see the abomination of Desolation. And that we are not appointed to the wrath he's going to bring when he comes because we are not those who are living wicked and who are part of those who he'll who, who, who come back as a thief in a night for. Okay? So, go back to Matthew 24. So, you need to become ready. You need to have knowledge. You need to look for the signs. You need to watch, therefore, and pray and be ready. And in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant who his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Now, this servant who was made ruler over his household, who is the household? Let's go to Hebrews 3.6 for a second here. And let's define scriptural terms with scriptural terms here. And we'll see who Hebrews 3.6 describes as the household of God. In verse 5 of Hebrews 3, it talks about Moses being a faithful servant in all his house. And it says in verse 6, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And so, verse 45 through verse 51, I think it's talking about a very specific group here. Now, I think the principles applied here can be applied universally to Christians. You know, if you go back to your sin, and you're lazy, and you get drunk, and you go back to the muck and the mire, you're not going to be ready. You're not going to be ready. Um, He'll come upon you as a thief in the night. But who are these who who are rulers over Christ's household to give them food and due season? These are the leaders in the Church of Christ. These are the leaders. And so we we see um, in John chapter 21, 15 through 17, when Peter is being restored by Jesus. What do he say to him? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Tend to my sheep. And and, in 1 Peter chapter 5, when Peter is addressing uh, the elders, he says to them in in chapter 5, he says, uh, 1 Peter, The elders who are among you I exhort... I, whom a fell elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So we're called people who are leaders in the, in the church, they're called shepherds, co-shepherds, or really like little shepherds. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, the over-shepherd here. Um, you can also see in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is addressing the elders in Ephesus, the leaders of the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood uh we could also go to uh i know i'm skipping around here but it's probably better if you just listen you have got down the references for yourself later on hebrews chapter 13 <clears throat> and uh let's see here chapter 13 and verse 7 remember those who rule over you or lead over you could also be the same word they translate lead there over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. <clears throat> and then down in verse 17, Obey those who lead over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and with, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So people who are leaders in the church of God are overseeing the flock, they're looking over the flock, they're leading over the flock, as a servant, not one who's making them compulsory uh, submit to them. And they're watching out for souls as those who much give an account. And so leaders will give an account to God. This is why not many should be teachers. It's why not many should be like, why there's such a strict um, qualification in 1 Timothy 3 to be a leader in the church of God. Because they will give an account. Me and Brother Kevin are giving an account, a much stricter account than you will, friends. Unless you become a leader in the church of God yourself. And so these people are giving account. Because they're to give the food in due season. Wow. Due season. Well, that due season is about upon us. And those shepherds who are not feeding their flock properly, they're teaching them wrong things about the end times, they're going to give an account for that. Okay. And this beating, I know he's talking about here, uh, physical beating here, but it's an analogy here. And when a pastor or a teacher teaches false doctrine, they are, in a sense, beating the people they're leading. When they fleece the flock for money, They are, in a sense, beating those servants. And so they're going to have these pastors and teachers, especially the ones we see in America, who are doing these things, who are leading the flock improper, teaching them they they can sin every day and be okay with God, teaching them that they're saved no matter what, teaching them they're going to be out of here before the tribulation happens. These people are going to give an account to God. And God's going to call them to give an account. And if they go back... And there's a lot you know, a lot of the news today. I know a lot of it has to do with the prosperity gospel preacher. We saw recently Creflo Dollar uh, abused his daughter and got arrested. He, uh, They got in a fight about her going out to a party. She wasn't having good grades. They uh, had a discussion. She walked away. He followed her. She was crying. He said, why are you crying? She said she didn't want to talk to him. He grabbed her and choked her. This is a testimony of her anyway. He choked her. And she fell on the ground and he punched her in the face, supposedly. This is what her testimony is to the 911 operator on the phone. Okay? And when someone is living a wicked life and they're an overseer in the church of God, it'll come out eventually. It'll come out eventually. And uh, because if their heart is wicked, guess what? It'll show. Just like when we're in open air and someone says they're a Christian and you're reasoning with them, all of a sudden they start to cuss at you and blaspheme God's name and say things that you know are not biblical. Their fruit shows, their heart, their mouth shows, who they really are and what they really are about. Yes, brother. The
2: sin shall find you out.
0: Yes, yes. Sin shall find you out. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Now, of course, he's denying it, and then you have people like uh, Bishop A. Long who was involved with young men and homosexuality. And of course, he denies it. There's many young men who are saying these things. Um, But God knows the truth. God knows the truth. And so people who are leading, who are made masters, rulers over Christ's household, who we are, if we are continuing the faith, they're going to have to give an account to God. If you want to read, here's some extracurricular reading if you want to. You can read the parable of the Minas in Luke 19, 11 through 27. And you can also read Revelation 20 and 20 verse 4, which talks about uh, those who are faithful and how God will reward them when he comes. How he'll make them ruler over cities. And uh, they will rule with him for a thousand years. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour when he is not aware of. So he's not looking for him, he's not watching, he's not praying. And when he's not looking for him, because what's he distracted by? Sin. Sin. He's distracted by sin. Sin will only just send you to hell. Sin will distract you from what... I mean, I think, of, I think back to all the times I've sinned, all the times I could have been doing something else. And and during the, think about this, friends. Sin doesn't just cost you your soul, but it costs you time. It costs you time that you could have been serving God. All those people you could have reached out to, all those people you could have preached to, all the times you could have studied your Bible, all the times you could have been praying, and you were sinning instead. That's a sobering thought. It makes me never want to sin. Not only for my own sake, but for the sake of others. I've got better things to do with my time. So this one's not waiting; he's not watching. And look what happens to him: cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrite. So that's what he is: he's a hypocrite. Where there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this man, this man, I want you to point. Out, I want to point out to you here: he stayed a ruler over God's household until the end. He was there in that position, in that place, until the end. And it wasn't until the end that it was revealed that he is a hypocrite. He's going to hell. So even for those pastors who have secret sin that, that no one else knows about, it'll come out eventually, if they stay in that way. Now, if they repent, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's go to one more passage here, Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Because it, it relates a lot with this, what that hypocritical uh, leader said when he said uh, he's delaying his coming. Second Peter chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1. I'm going to go through verse thirteen. <clears throat> verse one, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, and both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminding pure minds. Interesting, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this, first the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the Father fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That sounds like exactly what that wicked servant said. Oh, he's delaying his coming. i have often lived in live and sin a little while, and when I think he's about to come, then I'll get right with God. Uh-oh. Don't be thinking that, friends. Don't you ever think that? That's a very dangerous place to be in. Not only because Christ might return, but because you might die in your sin. For this, they willfully forget. They're willfully ignorant here. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Now, now, they willfully forget, just like the people of those days were eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage. Noah preaches, The end's coming! Eating, drinking, no appreciation. The end's coming. <laughs> that guy's a fool. Look at it. The end's coming? What's he wearing? The end is nigh sandwich board on or something like that? Oh, he's laughing at this guy. So they, they laugh. They go on there. like nothing, Nothing's wrong. Nothing ever happened. And then it came. And the people who do this, they scoff and say, where is the promise of us coming? Oh, it's delayed. People have been talking about us coming for a long time. Man. That guy out in California, he prophesied him coming last year. And they think because he's, he's, there's some guys there who are wrong that they're all wrong, that he's never going to come back. And they scoff and they mock. But the world which was then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved by for fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of god ungodly men. <laughs> but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day as one day. Well, is that slack concerning his promise? What promise is not slack concerning? His return. As some count slackness, but what is holding him back? But his long suffering toward us. Not one that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Go back to the preaching of the gospel again in Matthew 20, 15. Preaching the gospel It's not, it's not, it's not the slack concerning his promise. He's going to return, but he's being patient. For the, for the sake of the wicked who may become righteous. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Oh, where did he get that from? Matthew 24, he got it from Jesus. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The verse says, all these things will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Because these things are coming, here's your response. Holy conduct, godliness, and of course, going back to Matthew 24, waiting, watching. Looking for in verse 12, and hastening. Well, how do you hasten the coming of the day of God? You preach. Because until that's done, it can't come. Now, now once the, the middle point happens, there is no hastening. I mean, it's going to be 1,290 days. But preaching now, before the first half comes, that can hasten the first half coming to us. It can hasten it. That word hasten there, there means to to cause something to happen by exercising special efforts, to be zealous and dischar- discharging an obligation. That's what it means. To cause something to happen by exer- exercising special efforts, being zealous and discharging an obligation. You're all obligated to preach the gospel, you're all obligated to share the truth. Looking for and hasten the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and almost will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, I just want to talk one, for a few minutes here about this new heaven and new earth. It doesn't mean that this earth is going to be obliterated in the smithereens, and this new earth will come out of the sky and we'll live on it. It means the earth that we see here will be refreshed, back to unused, unworn state. Just like we are new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away. The old were all a new creation. It doesn't mean that he took BJ, took the old guy away and brought a new BJ. It looks different. That's, you know, five foot ten and weighs 300 pounds and he's, he's got darker skin. No, that's the same BJ when he was changed and he was saved. It's the same BJ. His conduct has changed, though. And when the earth is changed, just like... Go back to uh, verse uh, 5 for a second. I want you to pay attention to the language here when it's talking about the flood. It says, For this they willfully forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth, which was of old too standing out of water in into water, by which the world that men, uh, that then existed perished. Now, the world that then existed, the old earth, the old heavens, are we still living on the same earth and the same heavens? We are, but it's been changed. It's been changed. And so when the new heavens and new earth come, it'll be the same earth, the same heavens, but they'll be changed. doesn't mean the old one got obliterated. And they, you know, if, if I say I bought I bought a new car, what I mean is I've gotten rid of my old one and I've gotten a completely new one. Okay, that's what I mean by that. Uh, but if I if I say that um, I take my suit to the cleaners and I say I have a new suit, do I really mean I bought a new one? No, it's been cleaned up, it's been changed, it's like a new suit. And that's what uh, the Bible means when it says new heavens and new earth. In fact, the Greek word "kainos" there means fresh, unused, unworn. It doesn't it mean new in place and time? And I'll give you a little, uh, a little tidbit here, a little teaser here. I've been studying this, and it seemed like there's some verses that seem to be saying that it shall be like the Garden of Eden. Okay, I'll give you a couple of verses. You can look at them for yourself. Ezekiel thirty-six thirty-five and Isaiah fifty-one three. Thirty-six, thirty-five, and Isaiah 51, 3. So, going back to Matthew 24 to wrap this up. I know have packed a lot into this. But, uh, it's important. Okay, so to sum it up here, the day of hour can be known by the group at the end because of the abomination isolation. But for us that are not there, yet, not there yet, it's not to try to figure out like uh, the guy out in California did try to do recently. It's not to try to figure it out. It's to preach the gospel. That is our purpose right now. Okay. Um, we can know. There are signs that we know. Noah knew. The example God gives there. Um, the, th- the master of the house, if he would have known, he would have protected from the thief breaking in. And Christ is that thief. Okay. Uh, and you need to become ready. You look for the signs. And even though verses 45 to 51 is talking about a select group, the leaders of the church, it can be applied universally in the principles there that you need to not go back to your sin, because if you do, you'll not be ready. There'll come an hour when you're not ready for him, when you're not looking for him, because you're distracted by your sin. Okay. That's all I wanted to cover here. So come as a thief and knight for the wicked, not for the holy, not for those in the end times who are holy and who are seeking after the truth. (laughs) Okay, so we'll open up the uh, discussion now for questions, objections, or anything anyone wants to add. Yes. Um, I I have two questions. Sure. Uh, The first one that I have is
1: in the time, Mm-hmm. 17, when we are called away um, in hiding after the uh, abomination of desolation um, uh, we as Christians would we still um, be preaching the gospel would we still be outreaching to the wicked at that point or are we strictly in hiding edifying one another
0: Revelation chapter 12 gives more details about this there will be some who will be preaching Because preaching has to happen until the end. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13. Now when a dragon, that's uh, Satan there, saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The woman there is the children of the promise, it's Christians. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle, and she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time. That's one year plus two years plus a half a year, that's three and a half years. From the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed out water out of his mouth uh, like a flood. I think that's an army going after them, just like it was in Egypt. After the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went, here's a key part here, he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So some who will be persecuted, there's some who won't be persecuted. Okay, So I don't know which group I'm going to be in, or which group you're going to be in. So that will be determined at the end. And then you see in verse uh, 7 Revelation 13, talking about the Antichrist here, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. The authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, on the land slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads he who leads into captivity shall so go into captivity. He who kills with the sword will be must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. So the son who led into captivity, and some who were killed by the sword. Okay? And uh, I'm not exactly sure just yet how we're going to be led into, but if I'm studying the scripture here, you know, just the example of Lot, but there's, there's other passions, I think Psalm ninety one is the one I'm referring to here. We can go to that real quick, if that's the right one. Um, you know, Lot. He was led away by. I'm probably Trisha brought about this. I think last week he was led away by angels, out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And oftentimes, um, the Bible talks about this: is to not look back. Let's see here. No, nope, that's not the one I was referring to. But I, I, I truly think those who are who are led away at this point in time I'm still thinking about this and reading the scriptures on it. Uh, it's possible that people will be led away by by angels. And Brother Tracy brought that up I think last week. Yes. That's a good point. So that's possible. Um, now those who are not led away, I, at this point in time I don't know of any scriptures that uh, tell us why. Uh, there's lots of reasons why it could be. One could be because they were not looking like they were supposed to be. Okay, Because they were taught wrong eschatology. So they weren't looking. Uh, another reason could be that they willfully stayed behind in order to preach another reason could be that God did not lead them into the hiding place because he's called them to preach to, to preach, and so the preaching will happen until the end and these last three and a half years Satan's going to try to get as many people as possible to mark the beast, once you have the mark of the beast you're done there's no repentance of that, you're guaranteed to go to hell, no repentance of that and so, they'll be, it's going to take time. And three and a half years is not very much time to get seven billion people, whoever it may be at that point in time, to try to take the mark of the beast. And so, there'll be time. There'll be a window of time there for us, to, for people who are preaching, to reach out to those who have not taken the mark of the beast. It's not going to happen overnight. And to reach out to them. Um, but the only reason to preach to those who have already taken the mark of the beast is just to declare God's righteousness and stand up for the truth and, and not give in denying Christ. That'd be the only reason to preach to them. Because so they can't be saved. They can't be saved. So there's gonna be some who won't and some who will. And uh there's question as to what this how why they're distinguished and how who does and who doesn't and why. I don't know really the answer to that yet. Yes go ahead.
1: Um, can you explain uh, Daniel nine, twenty seven? There are some groups out there that suggest that the great tribulation already happened because of all the fifty million believers during the dark ages mm-hmm. that were that were murdered, mm-hmm. you know the Waldenians and the, the Huguenots, and you know when the Catholic Church persecuted the believers, they believers that,
0: sure. that
1: great tribulation already has. So, I just want to know what some uh, objections that I can use against that. You
0: know? Yeah, I mean, all the things we just talked about, in Matthew twenty-four. Those things haven't happened yet. I mean, has the sun been darkened yet? Has the moon let, uh, lost its light? Um, those are great cosmic signs. Has the abomination and desolation happened yet? Um, that couldn't have happened in the Middle Ages. There wasn't even a temple in the Middle Ages. So it could have been done there. But Daniel 9.27 says, They shall confirm it, covenant with many for one week. That's the last seven years. But in the middle of the week, this is the very middle of it, He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate until the consummation of which, which is determined is poured out and desolate. So that's the Antichrist, once again, standing in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God, stopping the, off, the sacrifices to God, the Jewish people are doing at that point in time. And um, that is the beginning of the last three and a half years. And so they, you have to understand what the abomination desolation is. And you can understand this by reading Daniel and by knowing history, reading about the uh, uh, Hanukkah, so if you read about Hanukkah, you'll understand that Antiochus Epiphanes, and Josephus talks about this too in his writings, he came and um, he destroyed, or he took captive the Jerusalem and put to end the sacrifices and set up an idol of Zeus and commanded them to offer sacrifices to that with pigs, which of course is completely forbidden by the Jewish law. And so something very similar is going to happen in the last days. In the end times. And so this, it couldn't possibly be the Middle Ages because there was no temple in the Middle Ages. There was no Antichrist standing temple that claimed claim to be God in the Middle Ages. And uh, there was no cosmic signs in the Middle Ages. And so uh, just because, I mean, there's been people dying for the faith all throughout the ages. And, but in the end, it will be the worst. All nations will hate us. All nations. All nations. All nations. So Matthew 9.27 is talking about uh, the Antichrist. Nothing in it is implying Christ at all. No, the 9.27 is talking about the Antichrist standing in the temple of God. Uh, and you you see uh, this... Let me just go to 2 Thessalonians 2. It gives it in more detail here of what he's going to say. Talking about the same thing here. And... Uh, in chapter two and verse one of Second Thessalonians. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, we ask you. So that's the same that happened at the same time, the gathering together in Christ's returning, and they be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as it from us as though the day of Christ had come. but no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, as the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. He has to be revealed first. This is what he does. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship. So he sits as God in a temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So that's what he's going to do in the temple. Okay, And um, this goes back to Daniel 12 and Daniel 9, which is both talking about the Antichrist. Uh, now Daniel 11, if you want to read about Antioch's Epiphanies and Hanukkah, Read Daniel 11, verse 29 through 39. You see some similarities there in what happened back then and what's going to happen in the future, but it's not the same as that situation. Okay? So you could read about Antioch's Epiphanes. You read Daniel 11, 29 through 39, to learn more, more about that and what happened there. And uh, Jesus is using that to point them to the end time. So the 70 weeks prophecy, as is talked about in Daniel 9, 20 through uh, 27, He's talking about seventy weeks, and there is a period of time between the 69th week and the seventieth week, and it doesn't say how long that time will be. Okay, but in the middle of the seventh week, which is week means means sevens, a group of sevens. So it doesn't mean like week Monday through you know, or Sunday through Saturday. It means a group of sevens. And so in the last seven years, in the middle of it, the sacrifice will come to an end. Now, if there was no sacrifice in the Middle Ages, how can they come to an end? Okay? And the problem we have now is there's no temple. And so the temple must be built. The sacrifice must start again. In order for them to stop, they must start again. Okay? So, uh, this has nothing to do with the Middle Ages or anything like that. I mean, we're, we're going to be persecuted. I mean, we, we see that anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will suffer persecution. But it has nothing to do with... Uh, eighty seventy 70 had nothing to do with um, the middle ages does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Right. anybody else yeah, okay.
2: I had a question and you're talking about the hastening right was right was coming, what, the, the, hastening, the hastening of the coming no, second Peter three, three. Yeah, second period three um, you say, would you say that that's basically uh, Romans uh, eleven twenty five, where it says that,
0: um... Provoke them to yes. jealousy. Let's see
2: what we did here. Uh, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness and part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Would you say that would be the, the hastening, what we should be doing The the, gospel, the fullness, making the fullness, of the making come, the fullness in, come in, yeah. That would be, that would be the hastening.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that would that would go along with that. And of course, we're we're preaching to Gentiles. We may encounter Jews along the way or once in a while, but. Um, another thing I was kind of
2: wondering is, is uh, you know, it, it's focused here, of course, on on Gentiles in the, the context of the passage uh, there with Israel and things. But you know, we're preaching to Jew and Gentile, right? Uh, but there, but here it says that there's a the Gentiles comes in and then
0: mm-hmm. um, then there's going to be the end that's yeah. taking place. Yeah, there's a question as to there's uh, one question I'll, I'll put in your mind you could think about. Mm-hmm. Is um, in Daniel chapter 8 there's a question as to whether that's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes or talking about the end there. And there's a number there that um, in Daniel 8, which does not match up with Antioch's Epiphanies. And it says in verse 14, 2,300 days, or 2,300 morning evenings. And, of course, we know that in in uh, sacrifices given the temple, there's one in the morning and one in the evening. So 2,300 morning evenings, which would be uh, 1,150 days. And, of course, on the I think on the Sabbath, they offer two in the morning and two in the evening. If I remember right. So there'd be four on that day. So it'd be about a thousand days. The question becomes when, when, and the Bible doesn't explicitly say this, but when the Antichrist defiles the temple, are the Jewish people going to rise up and try to take it back? That's the question we must ask ourselves. Because when when the, the armies come to Israel, all the armies of God are coming to Israel, but who's left there? The temple's been, uh, been desolated already. And The Christians are out of there. They're not in there. They're off either preaching the gospel or they're in the hiding place. And so they're coming just like what happened with in AD 70. They they came and the armies came to Jerusalem because who was in there? The Jewish people. And so it's possible the Jewish people try to retake over the temple during the last three and a half years, and that's why the armies gather there. That's something I'm going to throw out there for you guys to think about. But yeah, uh and the reason I bring that up is because of what you just said, uh, the fullness of the Gentiles. Um, I'm not sure when the fullness of the Gentiles ends.
2: Yeah, it seems like that would be... The very the end. Very, the very end. Right. right. The
0: very end of the second right.
2: coming. There's people that can be saved all the way till he
0: comes. Right, right. That, that, that's why I, I brought that up, because the Jewish people, they're still... You know, the, God allows them to set up the temple again, because the temple sacrifice at that point aren't going to do anything. Okay? Christ is the final sacrifice for sins. So these sacrifices that they offer in temple in the last seven years, or whenever the temple is built, might be built before then, uh, they're not going to do anything for them. They're not going to forgive them of their sins. Christ is the last sacrifice of sins, but God is allowing them to build a temple and allowing them to sacrifice to point them once again to who? To Jesus. That's the point of the sacrifices in the first place. And so when he, when he returns, obviously these, these Jewish people who are religious Jews... I'm not talking about those who are just born from Abraham. These people who are doing the sacrifices, they're not going to take the mark of the beast. They're not going to follow the Antichrist. They're going to continue they're going to offer sacrifices. And they know that he's not God. And so there's going to be some Jewish people who are not going to take the mark of the beast. And then when Christ returns, then he, they become his people. Because he they have not taken the mark of the beast. And even though they're not Christians yet, we know that according to Zechariah 14. That there will be people in the thousand year during the thousand year reign who are not going to be Christians and who have not taken the mark of the beast who Christ will rule over. And so I, I think that maybe those Jewish people, which says all Israel shall be saved, mm-hmm. I was talking about two different Israels there in, in nine and eleven, but I think it's talking about those Jews who when he returns are still trying to offer sacrifices to him and still trying to live for God to the best of their ability. They're going to see him come. And it says in all those, even those who pierced on him, they shall look upon him, and that's talking about when he returns, and they will mourn. And so, I think maybe then, maybe then, those ones are going to be the ones who open their eyes are open now, and they're going to see Christ for who He really is, and they're going to serve Him. Yeah, but that's, the that's the Israel who is going to be saved, Israel, whole right? Because is- there will be some Israelites who, I, who who are lineage from Abraham who will take the mark of the beast. There'll be some who I believe who would be deceive, thinking He's the Messiah. But there'll be some who I think, or maybe try, just like the Maccabean revolt was. They're going to try to take the temple back over. And
2: um, well, Jesus said that uh, I come in, in uh, my Father's name, and you do not receive me, but one will come in His own name, and him you will
0: receive. Yeah. yeah, there'll be some. There'll be some. But there's obviously going to be some. According, I mean, because the whole point of the the two witnesses, one of them is Elijah, is to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the Son of Malachi four. So. That's this whole point. So there will be some who will be turning back to the Old Testament system they're gonna, and they're going to see Christ when he comes. And so that, these are just things I've been thinking about a lot. I don't, I don't have a completely solid foundation for all of these things I'm saying right now, but I'm just thinking about these things. Yes?
3: So are you kind of supposing that that third group, because I agree there has to be a third group. There has to be the, the, the saints which are going to be raptured and, and glorified. Right. There's going to be the ones who take the mark of the beast that are going to go to the lake of fire. And then there's going to be that third group that you know it's up in the air who that third group could be. But are you supposing that they're all going to be Jews?
0: No, no, I don't think they're all going to be Jews. I mean, obviously, as you said in your your article in Daniel 12, there's going to be young children. Right. I, I mean, I mean, if if my say Malachi, for example, gets married and he has a six year old at that point in time, he's not to the state of, not to the state of accountability yet. Mm-hmm. And so, no matter what happens to Malachi and his wife if he gets married. Know, that child would be safe. you know. But I do think there's going to be other people uh, out there in the world who maybe are just ignorant of the gospel. And, um, of course, they have sinned, but they haven't taken the mark of the beast either. Whether it's because they refuse to take it or because the mark of the beast hasn't reach, reached them yet. You know, I wonder, I wonder if they're going to try to get people in northern Mongolia to take the mark of the beast or in Siberia. Now, I wonder how far... I mean, obviously the whole world is his dominion now, the Antichrist dominion, but I wonder how far it's going to go in three and a half years. It's not very much time to get to seven billion people. And so I think that there will be some Not all of them are going to be Jews, of course. And uh, But one thing you said there is... I'll let you carry on here a second. But you said that when Christ returns, all the people who took the Mark of the Beast are going to be thrown into the lake of fire?
3: Yes, all that take the Mark of the Beast will be thrown into the lake of fire at his
0: return. Well, I think it will happen Eventually. But in Revelation 20, or 19, I'm sorry, it uh, says that only the only ones that are said thrown the in there right then are the, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Uh, Revelation 19 and verse uh, 20, and then the beast was captured as the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with a sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So the only two, according to that, that are thrown into the lake of fire at that point are the false prophet, the false Elijah, and the Antichrist. All the rest were killed with the sword. And so, if you look at Revelation 20, um, that's when death and sea and... Uh, death and Hades were delivered to the dead, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Yes, Brother John? Uh, okay,
1: so they were killed with
0: the sword, huh? they would have gone to the lower part of Hades. Yep. That time, right? That's right. That's, right. right.
2: that's what I believe. Yep. And I kind of did the same thing myself. When the unbelievers were judged, and I wanted to share this verse, I think I know.
0: Second Timothy chapter 4.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I charge you therefore before God, Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as appearing. To judge the living and the dead as appearing,
1: it seems like he would be judging everybody at that point.
0: Well, I think, I mean, you could interpret it that way, but it can be interpreted the other way as well. So Revelation 20 makes that clear that after the 1,000 years, I mean, we can go back to it real quick and just read it. It says, um, Okay, let's start in verse 7 Revelation 20. Now, when 1,000 years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And we don't know how long he's released for, just for a short period of time. Of course, it says in Revelation 20, Verse 3 at the end of it, a little while he'll be released. And will go out to deceive the nations that are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather together into battle, excuse me, whose number is at the sand of the sea. So this is after a thousand years. Christ has been reigning for a thousand years. And of course, you know he's not deceiving the saints, he's deceiving those who are left on the earth, according to Zechariah 14, who are part of that third group, me and Tracy were just talking about, who are married, who had children he's deceiving the children or the children's children or whoever it may be who are alive at that point. He's going out to deceive them. And many of them deceive because, look, their numbers are the sand of the sea. That's a lot of people. So I don't know how many are going to be on earth, but a lot of them are going to be deceived. <clears throat> they went up to the breath of the earth, which the word there means is the word land, so it could just be talking about Jerusalem there, the land. It surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And was there a battle? No. The fire came down from God out of heaven devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into a lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. See, the only people who are in there, according to verse eleven, is the beast and the false prophet at that point in time, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, whose face so this is. And then, then, at that time, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth, and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw a dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, because they no longer needed. This is the second death. And anyone who had not found written the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so, not only that, if you go back up to verse 5, it says... Uh, after talks about the first resurrection, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Okay, so the first resurrection, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. The wicked aren't blessed and holy. And so, over such, the second death has no power. So only at the second resurrection do the wicked get right Now, in the second resurrection, there's also people who are Christians, who became Christians during the thousand-year reign, and who died during the thousand-year reign. That's why it says, whoever's name is not written in the land's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Because there are people at the second resurrection at the white throne judgment whose names are written in the land's book of life. Yes, brother.
2: Yeah, that actually leads right into my
3: next thing I was going to say. Okay, go ahead. It also ties back to what Brother Kevin has brought up, Uh is that if we suppose that there are Gentiles that's going to be in that thousand-year reign, and that they do become Christians, then the fullness of the Gentiles will not come in until the end of the thousand-year reign. That's when the fullness of the Gentiles actually comes in. Uh-huh. It would be after that point. And then that would be when uh, Israel, all of Israel, uh, would not be blinded anymore because all the, all those who are Israel would have been decided at that point. Because mm-hmm. there, there's no... I don't see any uh, forgiveness or any, anything after the thousand-year reign. The only thing we see after that is the rebellion of the enemy and all, all those that he's deceived and the, the, the following his army, that's
0: all we see after a thousand year reign. Well, let's, let's go to Revelation, Romans 11 for a second here. Let's read it and see if that fits with that. <laughs> it says, right, Romans 11 25. Mm-hmm. I do not, not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. Now, this is, when, this is when the fullness of times come in. The liver will come out of Zion. It will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Okay, so let will stop right there. I'm not so sure, brother, that, that people, when Christ turns around, are going to be called Gentiles anymore. Jews anymore? I understand what you're saying here, and it makes sense, but I don't think it's what verse 25. Because verse 26 is obviously talking about Christ's return, and that, that's when he's going to turn. Um, that's when he'll take away this, and that's when he'll turn on Godless from Jacob. Okay, so I I, I don't know what we're going to be called. <laughs> I don't know if this, there's not going to be a separation anymore. Obviously, because the Jews and Gentiles are going to be one at that point in time. Those who believed. And so I don't know if there's going to be a name, because at that point in time, the earth will be changed, the way Christ is going to interact with the people, the earth is going to change, whereas the, the whole point of the Jew and Gentile distinction was to say that Jewish people were God's chosen people in the Old Testament, but for one purpose, to bring salvation to all, be a blessing to all nations, to bring Christ into this world, and that's when he came, and uh, the Gentiles were starting to be saved, and they are grafted into the promises of Abraham, and become co-heirs with him of the land. And so I'm not so sure that there's going to be a Jew and Gentile distinction at that point in time. So. But I think what Brother Kevin brought up is talking about the very end there. And it seems to me that would almost fit with what I was saying a little bit ago, which I don't know for sure about yet. But... Uh, well,
2: Jerusalem, it says in the 21st Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the fullness of Gentiles right yeah. right. So that's right another right. another thing that kind of ties into it right
0: um, that means the thing trampled on the foot till the Lord comes yeah it is tra- I mean the Antichrist takes control over it
2: yeah so that would
0: and would you know, even if even if you try to take back control over it uh, there's still going to be Gentiles in the outer court yeah. Yeah. so Whereas before that wasn't allowed was it yeah, wasn't it that uh, who was it that went to the outer court and Paul got in trouble for it? Titus no, he or brought, Timothy? He brought somebody, it was either Titus or Timothy that he brought, and they got in trouble for because they thought he they thought he wasn't right. He was half and half, half Gentile, half Jew. So I guess the
3: the major difference between uh, what we would know as the Gentiles in the thousand year reign and what we know as Gentiles now. Is that now uh, the Great Commission of the Gentiles is to preach the gospel in all the earth until the end? Right. Uh, but once we're raptured and Jesus is now ruling Himself, mm-hmm. it's going to be so apparent. I don't. I don't think there's, there's no need, need to, to
0: preach the gospel.
3: There's no need to, <laughs> to preach the gospel. So I guess that would be the distinction of the difference. Right. So in that in that way, the fullness of the Gentiles, we have a mission mm-hmm. to preach the gospel. <laughs> the fullness of that mission comes in at the second coming. Sure. So that would that would go together. Yeah.
2: Exactly. yeah that makes sense. <laughs> you look, you look uh, in the last chapter of Revelation, you have to believe for the healing of the nations. Yeah. So there's there's nations there. Too. Mm-hmm. So and that
3: would be the difference between the Gentiles now and the Gentiles then, is that they'll uh, have Jesus right there. They'll see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They'll see us in their glorified bodies, too, so they'll see that.
0: I think it's Isaiah 66 it talks about how some of the Gentiles are going to be ministers before him. Yeah. It talks about the people from the nations and it says, uh, in verse 21, I will, t- I will also take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord. So, Yeah, most, most you know, lineages you sh- during this day for understanding are just atheistic, mm-hmm. very atheistic. Mm-hmm. You know. The ones I run into on college campuses, they, you know, they want to discredit the, even the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't even believe the Old Testament.
2: Mm-hmm. Daniel so That's special. They don't like Daniel. So I like to I, had, I I shared this briefly a testimony yesterday. It was, it was on when I got to witness. Um, I was uh, was preaching, and you know, a lot of times people try to come and stop you from preaching, and so you kind of just turn and ignore that and keep preaching, and then there's times where I think that it's God's will that we do stop and yeah. deal, deal yeah. with somebody, oh, yeah, and uh, I witnessed that yesterday, so there was two Catholic guys that I was witnessing to, and there was a girl with them, and uh, so I, I was raised Catholic, so I witnessed to them and, and uh, helped them to see, and then uh um, they were wanting to leave, and, and the girl, she said, no, I, I need to ask a question." She came up, and she was totally so sincere, humble, and uh, beautiful. Moment, she came up, she said, "You know, I just need to ask you. I'm, I'm Jewish." She was just, just, just uh, total genuine. You know? Yeah, right. I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm Jewish. Um, how can I be saved? And it was like. It, it, she it was beautiful. I mean, she—it was like a, a woman at the well, at meeting with the, the Lord right there. And uh, I'm Jewish. How can, can I be saved? How can I be saved? And uh, so I got to share with her about her Messiah and the Passover Lamb, uh, Christ your your Passover Lamb sacrifice for you. And she has she has she's not practicing Jew. And she also it was like you can see you know some people you see they're just following ever they're following everyone else and it doesn't fit them. I mean, she was she was dressed in modest, and then she had piercing in her eyebrow and all stuff, but she, it just didn't fit. It didn't fit. She's just following following the crowd, you see, because there was still some, uh, you know, she wasn't hard-hearted, you know what I mean? She was, she was, she was soft-hearted, and she truly wanted to know. And uh, so she has some knowledge of, of, of the things that happened to her people throughout history in Egypt, and I got to show, share with her about the Passover lamb, the blood, and, and then uh, the sacrifices, so they couldn't take away your sins, they keep offering these sacrifices over and over again. She's like, yeah, that's right, over and over again. And Reminder. Sins, yeah. But then came the lamb of God, Yeshua, your Messiah, the one that was forfeit. And, and when he saw that cross, that was the blood on the doorposts, the lentils of, of what happened in Egypt. And those who were in were, were death passed over. And that door, that door now is the cross is the door. The door now. And I said when he was on the cross, you could see her just totally, like, she saw the love of God. And when he was on that cross, he was proposing to you in his blood. He saying, will you marry me? And she's like, it's like she saw the love of God, you know? And she, she was amazed her. <laughs> he, he wants you to become his bride. You know that? She was just captivated with the love of Christ, and That's I got, get, got to, and, and then Brother Vaughn bon was there, and I didn't have the tracks are all gone. I just had oh. All I was, it not wasn't the right track. It was the, the IQ test. Oh, okay. <laughs> it just <does> it, you <laughs> know, some tracks, they don't fit. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, well, this you know, this, uh, this is good though. Like, you know, but then Brother Vaughn bon came up and he had the cross track, oh, came right sure. up, perfect. And I was like, praise, this is this is your Passover lamb. But she was just like like a treasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She took like a treasure. I told her what she needed to do. Her friends came over a few times, you know, trying to pull and a lot of times they pull them off yeah. but they'd pull her off. Okay. So that was beautiful. So That, okay. was, that was a Jew that I, I she I afraid she'd get saved. I think she's gonna go and she's gonna go and take that.
0: Anything else they wanna add or say or ask?
1: I just gotta say, man, I really enjoy a fellowship with you all. If I didn't tell you all today, you know, I really love you all with the love of oh, Christ, man. It's, it's awesome mm-hmm. when you don't have, you know, me and Gary and his wife we'll get together for fellowship. But man, when you get amongst more true believers, it's like, oh man, you know. You can feel the presence of power. I was just crying today, just like, you know. Yeah, about to have another moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, you He's the presence of God among the believers. You yeah. know? It's, it's kind of difficult when you're fighting a battle at home and fighting it out in the streets. It's difficult. Yes. You know? But I just want to say, you know that, you know that I love you all. And love you too. i be praying for you all back in North Carolina. Yeah, I'm praying for you too, brother.
2: Amen. Amen. Remember the battle of the Lord. It's true.